Hello and welcome to Enjoy Every Sandwich, episode three. I've titled this episode, Things Will Work Out Just Fine. And there is a backstory to that. Uh, my guest today, my first guest, my first ever guest on this podcast is someone that I became super friendly with um, that I met in, online in the gaming community. And uh, he is the host of his own podcast and the owner of his own company and, and lots of other things entitled In The Keep. And I'm glad to be uh, repping that here today. Um, and so, you know, online, his username, hopefully he doesn't mind me sharing, <laughs> is uh, The Motherload. And of course, well, of course, if you know the band Mastodon, um, The Motherload is one of the songs that they have on a really good album. And Things Will Work Out Just Fine is a cool lyric from there. And so, yeah, we're just going to roll with that. Um, of course, I am still Zach. And so let me bring in my guest. Uh, welcome, Ty, to the show. Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. It's uh, it's an interesting weekend. I'm, I'm like house sitting mm -hmm. and pet sitting for a friend. So I'm not at my podcast station right now. You'd, usually my mic quality would be on point. You know me. But uh, this is the yeah. laptop setup. So a little more casual than usual. You taught me a lot about mic setup because um, I was pretty much doing what you were doing. And this was my main microphone for a, <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> and I was like, that doesn't work for podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, See, I originally, I just had like a fucking Razer headset. Can we curse on this show? I didn't want to overstep the boundary. But, uh. Why the fuck not? I, I don't know. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't even remember what I was talking about when I said it. I got so caught up with whether or not I could curse on your show. We were talking about, uh, headset microphone quality. Yeah. I had this, uh, this fucking Razer headset. Uh, that was like really low fire or whatever. And it was, it served the purpose. And I always had that philosophy of like, you know, podcast audio does not have to be spectacular. You know, I've listened right. to a lot of podcasts that were recorded, you know, with field microphones or zoom H four ends or whatever. And, you know, as long as it's clear and audible, I don't even mind some ambient noise, you know, that's not a big deal to me. Uh, but you know, after a couple dozen episodes or so people start yeah. talking about this kind of stuff and you get feedback from your audience and you get feedback for, for me it was like you know from the other folks that working around it in the keep there nave is a if you've ever met nave i think you have probably i have yeah yeah is i keep him around like as a friend because he will always just flat out tell me uh mm -hmm. how to fix things or what's wrong and uh, yep. not hold back on it so yeah, he was just like kind of brutal with me. He's like, you you need to invest in like five hundred dollars worth of microphone equipment if you want to do this professionally. And uh, so that whipped me into shape. And yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, for you too. Like, so I started doing these just as like a hobby for a video game, and I was, you know, the people in the community were listening to it. So thirty people, maybe. I mean, I'm not sure. And so until you start putting yourself out there, like you have, you started. Um, I think I was on like a very, very early episode, like maybe episode four or five. Or you something. were super, super early. Yeah. Because and, at uh, the time I was like scouring the yeah. world for all online, you know, arena shooter, retro shooter communities. And the multiplayer Doom Federation was like one of the coolest things going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, you <laughs> fit the bill immediately. Yeah. And so, well, why don't you? Why don't you talk about your podcast a little bit? So you you speak to people all over the the FPS world, right? I, not even FPS I, at this point. Like it, it, the show has evolved so much since mm. like when you were on, right? It started off literally. It was I, I mean in the intro I was saying the show is all about arena first person shooters, mm -hmm. and then it became you know like very quickly like but Dusk is really cool and all these other cool games that you know the same people who play you know online doom and quake and all that kind of stuff also love and i loved so then i ended up talking to you know dave oshry and fred schreiber and like all these amazing uh people who like really brought that boomer shooter uh shooter community and uh like the indie you know indie publisher boom that we've seen in the past few years together and you know, and then at a certain point, I was like, man, I don't just want to play FPS. And then I started having people making RTS games on or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, just, I love indie games, period. Like, a, that's that's really my passion. Or, or just games in general. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be indie. There are great AAA games. Don't get me wrong. But I don't know. It's a, it's a lot easier to become part of the uh, indie game community as well. 
Yeah, I think there's so many different ways now, especially I, I know a lot of people give Discord some flack, but I love Discord because it's just the best way to connect people. Um, and it doesn't have to just be games, but it's a great, I mean, it's based around games. And so that's where you meet so many people. And to watch your podcast grow from, like you said, just sort of focused around FPS and talking to like, you know, little old me doing some, you know, thing. And now you've, you've branched out and you've done so many things that's going to warrant, you know, Hey, like a $500 investment on good equipment is something worthwhile because you're reaching a much wider audience now than you were when you first started. So I just right. think that's really cool. And, um, you know, for me, I have always used um, in the keep as like a, as a sort of a guide for the professional like approach to how to record, how to advertise, how to uh, edit, you know, like, like everything, how to have guests on and, and be really, um, you know, informative and, and, and all that stuff. So it's, it's been a big, it's been a big inspiration for me. So I really appreciate you um, hopping on here and, and talking to me. You know, now that I think about it, because um, you were actually doing like the, the Doom radio show thing on YouTube yeah. prior to me meeting you. But I th wasn't I like the first episode of Doom is Dead? Because you were. We, you had the idea to do it and we were at QuakeCon and I had all the recording set up. And I was like, let's just do one now and see yep. how it turns out. Yeah. Yeah, you, me, and uh, someone else do. We had a couple beers and we just sat down and talked. And um, yeah, it's it's been great because I think podcasting in itself has been something I've always wanted to do. And so just, you know, getting out there and doing it is, I think the hardest part is just starting. You know, once you start, you're, you're in a pretty good spot. You know, you can improve on stuff. But, you know, like today, I was procrastinating. Like, oh, should we do it today? And, you know, I'm glad I did, so... Yeah, it just worked out great that I happened yeah. to be free today. <laughs> yeah. So you, we met. Um, let me. Okay, I'll backtrack. So, the gaming community itself is for me. It's always been an escape from uh, life, really. And mm -hmm. so I, I don't find that a lot of people pick up games. You know, later in life, uh, you know, like a 35, 40 year old maybe might start playing games. Usually, games are something that uh encapsulate your life when you're younger and so for me i've always been involved in the gaming community and um for better or worse i would say it has affected uh <laughs> some some mental health um experiences and so i was curious what what your experiences were with the gaming community because we both run our own um you know our, our own organizations in a way and uh I know it's not always easy to to deal with you know people on the internet and uh, and all that stuff. So so what? I mean, how did you get started in all of this? Like how? And then where is it taking you? Like okay, yeah, it's a so, long question. First and foremost, before in the keep was a podcast or a company or a video game studio, it was th that Discord. It was called the, the Cathala's Keep actually at the time. Hmm. Uh, was meant specifically for finding pickup games in Quake Champions with people who were not jerks. Like, <laughs> that was the whole point. Like, that was literally our mission, me and a guy named Spaced uh, at the time, and a few other amazing people who were like, Violent Heart was a pretty early member of the, of the crew. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's been years now, but, you know, I, I forget what order everyone cascades into <laughs> uh, being around us. But, yeah, it was all about, like, creating a community where people could you know uh learn how to play this game or or play it competitively without having to deal with the uh the typical kind of bullshit that you get uh you know i think it's just online communities in general but like especially um these these boomer shootery type games man because they're just yeah you know they attract a certain kind of people and i'm not saying like they're they attract a lot of amazing people obviously and i think most of the people are amazing but there's always going to be a few bad eggs that just ruin it for everyone and you know as a, a doom moderator i'm sure you've you know exactly what i'm talking about sure do yeah yeah so uh, i i think that answered part of your question but <laughs> no it did um yeah. i think the interesting thing is because I, I i really started getting involved in online communities probably I mean, like 2003. So, I mean, it's still to steal a phrase from uh, another friend of mine. It was like the wild, wild west days of the internet. You know, people were just 
Facebook wasn't a thing. Uh, you know, there was really no way of knowing who the other person was right. uh, behind right. a username. So people could just do whatever they wanted. They could say whatever they wanted. They could um, act however they wanted. And, you know, for like a, for a, a young kid, uh, 10, 11, 12 years old, very impressionable. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, you don't just turn off the computer and walk away. You don't realize that, you know, you, you internalize a lot of that stuff and it just becomes yeah, uh, almost like you're, you know, dealing with people, you know, in real life. Um, it can be very harmful, I think. And I, I think that that is still the case today, especially like with, when you mention um, not even just the boomer type games, but let's talk about, you know, playing online and call of duty or playing, yeah. You know, luckily Fortnite, you can't hear other people, but you know, there's taunting and stuff like that. I mean, there's, you know, there's tons of games out there. I used to um, play a lot of CS:GO, and yeah, exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, you know, I, I've gotten angry at games before, but I think some of the the types of things that people say and do can be really harmful. And for me, I found that it really did sort of seep into uh, my it seeped into my life um, because I would initially use games as an escape, you know, um, moved around a bit when I was younger and uh, you know, so it was harder. It's harder to keep friends if you're moving around a little bit. And so I found friends online, but at the same time you find people that just suck. And the more you use the online world as an escape, the more you come into uh, contact with some of these people. So I think it's just, it's kind of like a, a yin and yang sort of thing, you know, where it can really be great, but it can also really super negatively affect your life if you get involved in it too much. I've definitely met a lot of people. Um, I'm not going to name any names because <laughs> it might be people who, you know, but who have uh, very, very clearly let their online thing that they do, whether that be, you know, like moderating some group of servers or, or whatever, perhaps, uh, writing the CAC awards, I don't know, <laughs> but make let it become like this thing that is just so much more. It, it's occupying way more of their life and their time than they need to. Um, yes. And and it's not like a negative thing about them. It's just that like, hey, you know, in in the grand scheme of things, none of this shit matters. This is just video games. This is people having fun. And uh, if it's if it's causing you stress and like anxiety in your life, I mean, it it becomes a Really, it became apparent to me very quickly. You know, one day when I realized, like, oh, like, if all I do is like make and and work around games and facilitate people playing games, like that's all that time that I'm doing that. I'm not playing games myself. I'm not enjoying what I'm mm -hmm. doing. And so then, what's the point, really? Um, so there's a bit of that, like, give until it feels good, but not not necessarily uh, to give until it hurts. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. Sense, but... It does. It's interesting you say that because I think I've also reached a point now where I don't play as many games as I used to. I am more in the the business of organizing events and running things for other people to play games. And I wonder if all of these experiences that we've had as gamers have taken us to a point where, or or we're just power hungry, you know, one or the other, but uh, it's just taken us to a point where we don't want to play anymore. It's not as fun. It's not as enjoyable. Um, you know, for me, I try to keep it I, I have periods where I get more involved than others and I might disappear for a little while because it's like, you know what, now that I've reached a point in my life where I can turn that off, um, which it wasn't, this is a fairly new development, I should say. Um, but, you know, reaching that point, I think is really difficult for people. And um, I just wonder, like if I had never started or if I had never gotten the the urge to to organize things, you know, would I still be sucked into the world of that that toxic gamer um, mentality? One of the things that I found the most fascinating, the thing that kind of drew me in when I was interviewing people like you and Flambeau and Do and that that crew of you know people who are who were doom moderators or doom players in the in the shitty days like in the wild west of the internet because mm. i missed out on that man i was not there i feel like an anthropologist showing up to mm. you know uh the ruin yeah. of the doom community talking to you guys and then you're you're like the the phoenix rising from the ashes was like that's how the the narrative was flowing in my head you know um and and i just found that such a i don't know 
an, a, an appealing story. And, and then it's, and then I realized very quickly, like, oh, no, this is still like a hot topic. I should probably stop talking about this stuff because I'm just pissing people off. Well, I think and I don't even think it's like just, you know, singularly the Doom community either, because I have the sort of interesting and unique experience of being really young when going through all of this. And, you know, like people thought I was like 20 when I was 11, you know, like they just didn't, they just didn't know. And so now that I'm 29, you know, like I see a lot of young players and people doing, you know, like, like having the same kind of issues that I was having, um, you know, getting like really upset about something and, and, and sort of taking it out on the community because the community's like, that's your that's your second home that's that's where you go to that's where you go to have fun and when you're not having fun it can be really destructive um i've done especially when i was younger you know done and said a lot of stupid things um so i think my my perspective from going through all of that is is part of what i enjoy now about organizing and having a place where people can be respectful because i sort of know what it's like to you know to feel like shit and to let that uh all of these things control you know your emotions i've seen the like the paradox of small gaming communities where not very many people are always around to play so a consistent player is better than no player and then a, a shitty person who is a consistent player you know who is actively d destructive to the community they're like well we can't ban them they're too important you know right. or like we don't want to lose a player and then they go and, you know, if they do break up, then they break off into their two, like, almost simultaneous looking units, that, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And then it splits the community again. And that's just happened over and over and over again. And I've kind of given up on uh, trying to be the guy who's going to fix that. I think I had my time trying to wrangle that cat. Yeah, I would say that I wouldn't say I've given up, but I thought it was going to be a little bit easier. Um, you know, I, I think, and maybe it's a microcosm of, you know, you see this stuff happen all the time with companies and businesses and relationships, whatever, you know, people go yeah. in different directions. And uh, I, I think that's just maybe how people are. And, um, you know, we can just do our best to create a good experience for the people who want to be involved in what you're involved in. Um, but it's, it's a lot of, you know, it's, I think it's hard to explain to people that aren't involved in the gaming community, how this stuff can affect you. Because, like I said, for me, I've been doing this now. I've been with this one singular game. I have a lot of friends that I've known for 20 years, longer than I've known like real life friends. And uh, there were there are incidents that happen where it's like it's like a shock to your system. It's almost like losing. It's it's just exactly like losing a friend in real life. It's exactly like having an argument with somebody that you that you care about and and so on. Um, and it can leave you just like completely blindsided and so i think that's a hard thing to explain to people that you can have those types of feelings and emotions and reactions to an online community um if they're not involved in it you know a lot of people just don't they don't get it yeah yeah i mean you, you seem like you have some some trauma associated with your, your time <laughs> on the internet like it seems like you yeah. have a lot to get off your chest uh yeah i would say yeah. I, I mean i think i think a lot of people do but yeah I'm i think blessed all, man I was much older and more mature. Mm. Not, I was still an idiot. Don't get me wrong. I was much, mm. much older when I really had enough access to the internet to do any damage. You know, um, <laughs> I mean, I had like Facebook and MySpace and crap when I was a kid. But I, you know, I, the computers were just this. I, I grew up in Alabama. Give me a break. Like <laughs> the computers yeah. are just these foreign objects. They just do things. It's magic. Yeah. We don't question it. Like. Yeah, well, you know, I, I I talk to I talk to some people about this and even friends that I have from high school, you know, when we would play games online, they just get so agitated and so it, it just it's it draws you in to and you tap into these emotions and it's like then then you turn the game off and you move on with your life and I don't I think it takes a long time to separate those two things, especially, um, I don't know, especially when like, like you're younger, you know, like right now you can certainly do it, but I, I think it's, I, I just think it's dangerous, you know? Yeah. And, uh, um, 
yeah, I, I, I wanted to go back and talk a little bit about, um, you know, right around the time that, that we met and I did your podcast, it was probably like six months later, I think that we, that we met in person and we went to, so there's a big, uh, convention that gets put on, um, it hasn't happened in person in a couple of years, but QuakeCon and, uh, we all flew out to Texas, which is where it's normally held. And it's just a, you know, days and days of gaming and, uh, you know, I, we talked about this a little bit, um, before the show started, but we just spent that entire time, uh, recording podcasts and drinking and, uh, I don't really remember like large portions of that weekend, but I think how would you say that your experience involved in, and, and maybe it, maybe the drinking doesn't have anything to do with the gaming, you know, it certainly did for me for a little while, you know, I would pour like a glass of wine and do one of those uh, radio shows that you were talking about, you know, cause I was just like, Oh, it'll loosen me up. And then all of a sudden I'm completely drunk in the middle of it. And so I feel like they started to intertwine a little bit. Um, but how is that experience for you? Because, uh, yeah, it just, it felt like a lot. Um, well, at the time, and uh, this is 2016, so, you know, tw not 2016. Oh, 2019. 2019, yeah, yeah. 2019. Okay, so three years ago, I mean, I was mm -hmm. uh, what, 23, 24, uh, <laughs> and... I don't know. I was just, uh, I was kind of in that part of my life where I just drank all the time, you know, woke up in the morning, you know, and ran and sweated it all out and did it all again the next day. And it didn't matter. Mm. Um, because I was, I was in the air force and I'm not trying to say that the air force caused me to drink, but there's, it's no secret that there is a drinking culture surrounding the military period. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it was just like, I was kind of always around people that made that feel normal and everything. So when I was at QuakeCon, like, you know, I realized quickly that a lot of the people around me are having their big fun weekend, you know, but I yeah. was just like status quo, bro. You want a beer? Let's go. Let's do shit. And, but in hindsight, you know, uh, I probably would have got a lot more done at QuakeCon. Like that opportunity would have, I don't know. Actually, I don't want to, I don't want to go back and try to change the past because had we not been out drinking at the bar all night, there's a lot of people we wouldn't have run into. This is true. So, uh, you know, say la vie, I say. But uh, since then, you know, I've gotten a little older and the, those hangovers last a little bit longer, hit a little bit harder. And uh, yeah, I've, yeah. Uh, over the past uh, maybe six months, I was kind of having like a dark period in my life. We don't have to get into that necessarily, the specifics yeah. of it, but I was definitely hitting the bottle way too hard. And then I just kind of had a realization uh, one day uh, not too, not too in the, in the not too distant past where I was like, okay, I need to like, uh, look around at the people that I consider to be normal and compare myself to them and, uh, assimilate <laughs> quickly or else I'm not going to make it as like a normal civilian person because mm -hmm. it was just normal to, uh, get tanked pretty much all the time. Yeah. You know? Uh, every weekend, all the time, every party, but and, and there are no alternatives either for uh, you know military personnel. You can't like smoke pot or you know and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So, and I'm not saying that like substance intake is necessary, but uh, since people are doing it anyway, they, it was like the more destructive substance was the legal one, and therefore the one that everybody did. Were your experiences? I mean, obviously, I've never been in the military, so mm -hmm. I mean, I imagine that the things that you had to do and you know, the, the life that you were leading at that time created some stress that oh yeah caused the drinking. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say caused it. I mean, I, or I you, you should say you was... used it as a, as a way to cope with it. Probably, you know, yeah. deep down there in the psyche somewhere. I, at one point I, I was in an alcohol related incident, right. And mm -hmm. which involved me having to then go to a, at the Air Force uses a program called ADAPT that is sort of a an Alcoholics Anonymous similar sort of thing. But uh, essentially it was like an intake and it was just like, you know, you talk to the psychologist and you talk to the, the alcohol specialist and all that kind of shit. And at that point, you know, I sat, that, sat down, we had an honest conversation about uh, what had brought me to the point where, you know, I had this incident. And even even the doctor was like, I don't think you're like an alcoholic. You don't seem like I was just like I just like to drink beer a lot, you know. But I, I could mm -hmm. do without it. It's not that big a deal. I just happened to be drinking beer 
on the day that this happened. And that was really my attitude about it. Uh, now, in hindsight, I mean, might not have been the same kind of an evening had I not uh, had a had a few beers earlier that day. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was kind of a, that, that was an earlier wake up call. That was kind of like, a, OK, uh, people are starting to notice this is affecting my life now. Um, and it took a long time after that to really just make that decision. It was like, I'm not I'm, alcohol just needs to not be a big part of my life anymore. Not saying I'll never drink again or anything, you know, if we're having a couple of beers or a bottle of wine or whatever, but I will not, I don't ever want to be back to the point where, uh, you know, you're drinking more days out of the week than not because ultimately it's expensive and bad for your health. And uh, my, my grandfather is actually dying of uh, liver disease very slowly and, and he's still getting around. He's great. I love spending time with him. He's older. This is kind of a, you know, he's going to die of something soon. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But that's kind of fucked up to say, but I, I do love my grandfather. I want to make that clear. Uh, but, you know, he was a, the same way, exactly like me. He was in the army and then he just never stopped drinking after the mm-hmm. army, kept drinking all the way through. And then, you know, it's just ultimately it's going to be what did him in. And he knows that. And I know that. And spending time around him really made me realize, like, that's not how I want to go. Yeah, I think there are there are two things that you can do really in life when you, when you meet people. And, you know, I, I really try not to be judgmental, like, like you are with your grandfather, you know, like you, you know, that, you know, these are his circumstances and this is what's happened to him. And, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. You can always, you can always wish or, or think that if you had done something differently, you know, you'd have a different outcome, but I think yeah. you can take two things. You can take away things from someone, oh, I want to be like that, or I don't want to be like that. I'll and, tell you the moment when I really yeah. like realized it, like it really hit me hard that I was not okay. Was I came home for Christmas, and I did not know what Grandpa was sick with. I knew he was sick, mm-hmm. but my, I mean, me and Papa are all about drinking whiskey and beer and all that kind of stuff together. So I brought his Christmas present, what is a bottle of Jack Daniels, <laughs> and when I gave it to him. And everyone in the room looked at me like I was a jackass. Hmm. Of course, I mean, of course, no one told me, right? Like, right. Yeah, it was an innocent mistake to some degree, but I was just like, yeah, I should really start thinking uh, long term about how I feel about this. And that ultimately led to the the decision that came later. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's it sucks. I, I think that's just one thing that sucks about how you learn lessons about <laughs> water, water. LaCroix, man. LaCroix is really good. Have you tried right. Zevia? No. Oh, so Zevia is just like it literally it's sparkling water, but it's it's marketed as like sparkling water soda. Um you can cuz I don't drink soda anymore because I just think soda is not great for you and uh whatever. I don't, I don't drink soda. I mean, yeah. every once in a while I mean if I'm feeling really good and it's go it's a great day, treat myself <laughs> to a couple of Coca-Colas, but yeah. only in the can. Right. You're right. I don't want it any other way. I don't want a fa- fountain drink. I don't no, want McDonald's no. fucking around come from with my setting. Yes. That's the cold. best kind of – it's the carbonation. But and that's a rare treat. Yeah, rare. Right. So Zephia has these flavors. You can get ginger ale, Coca-Cola, Mountain Dew, whatever, and they don't call them that. But they taste exactly like soda, and it's all uh, like like plant-based, tilty stuff. So, so I don't, I don't even want it to taste like soda. I like LaCroix. I like that it's virtually LaCroix good. I had to force myself, actually. That was – that was something I touched a little bit on um, in episode two, which was like the the dieting um, thing where, you know, I gave up soda and uh, I had, I worked in a lot of law firms and I was like, why do all these law firms just have sparkling water? Like, where is the soda? <laughs> where are all the good drinks? And so the first couple of times I had like LaCroix or whatever, I spit it out. I thought it was awful. And uh, that's just a healthier alternative. And it gives you the carbonation that you so desire. <laughs> with like I, I don't like sweet stuff necessarily. Every once yeah. in a while, like I said, you know, I want something like I have like a sugar craving and mm-hmm. then it, once it's satisfied, it's satisfied. But I, I think when I was a kid, I was like addicted to sugar. Like, and I think mm-hmm. most Americans are right. Like oh, yeah. I drink fucking soda all day long. I woke oh, up yeah. in the morning and I, I used to carry a three liter Fago orange, <laughs> you know, in my backpack to school yeah. and drink it in a day no, no not kidding um but that's just we never like talked about nutrition or like or, or how your your physical health affects your mental health like that correct it was never a conversation and until i was an adult not right really. 
me either and i think like you know i remember the um the surge uh cooler that we had you know like we just get an entire cooler full of surge like the most disgusting (laughs) horrible drink you could have i i remember when they came out with uh red mountain dew i go to the movies you know yeah this is you know quick short story yeah so this uh this guy who's an mtl it was a military training leader right in Mm. uh gulfport name was technical sergeant miller and he was like one of my favorite NCOs I ever served under, but he was a psycho. You know, he was literally like that kind mm-hmm. of crazy screaming at everybody drill sergeant t- kind of character, but I loved him. And every weekend, right before he would dismiss us, he always said like, and don't you spend all weekend sitting in your fucking dorm room with your <laughs> red mountain dew and your flaming hot Cheetos playing video games. Yeah. Go outside. And then that was the end of the weekend. Well, that's true. Uh, you know, that's uh, sounds like my childhood. What but I was going to say was that yeah, diet right. leads to a fucked up head. It does. It fucked does. up bodies, a fucked up head. Um, I, you know, the movie theaters were. I mean, this is block, but you know, pre Netflix. This is yeah. You know, going to Blockbuster every Friday, but you go to the movie theater and it's like, not every movie theater had Red Mountain Dew because it was still kind of. I don't know if it was new. I don't actually know when it came out, but you know, it wasn't, it just wasn't everywhere. And so I, whenever we went to one movie theater, I was like, I got to have the red mountain dew. And so I get a large and they're like, do you want to make it uh, a super size for 25 cents more? Sure. And they literally give you a fucking bucket, a bucket of sugar. And I can't tell you how many of those I had. I mean, do you eating... remember happy crack? Happy did, that, crack. did that happen in your school? Uh, I don't think so. So in my high school and Unless probably blocked it out too. It was really, it was like this thing where people made happy crack, which was just like sugar and Kool Aid mm. packets raw in a bag. And you just <laughs> eat that shit all day. It was like a huge fad. Yeah. It's yeah. nope. That never happened to me. And, and you, I think I think it, it would have, but no. Um, but all the research that I've come to understand in the past, you know, decade, I'll say, um, about, nutrition and about how you know for years we were lied to and told that fat was bad and sugar was fine mm-hmm. and, and i grew up eating pop tarts or little debbie yep. cakes for breakfast you know cinnamon toast my, my parents didn't think anything of it and they, they had no reason to they, you know <laughs> yeah yeah no it's true i mean i you know that that's what you do with kids it's like i go to the grocery store and the grocery store used to have and i tell this story to people all the time and uh those sugar cookies, right? Just a tin of sugar cookies. Yeah. And I'd have friends over and it'd be like, Oh, I'm going to take the sugar cookies downstairs and we'll play games or whatever. I would eat the whole thing. And then I'd go have dinner. And it's like, nobody, nobody ever said, Hey, you know, um, I don't think you should do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't until right, right around 18, 19. I said, no, you know what? I, I don't look like Brad Pitt and uh, I'm not anywhere near close. So maybe I should, try to be somewhat healthier here but it's a big problem because how many people get made fun of because of their weight and how many people get made fun of just because of their appearance i mean that can severely affect you forever um and i think even when you know i read stories about people who have like massive weight loss you know someone that's completely transformed who they are and how they are they still they they can't be comfortable in their body because they just endured years of you know saying whatever it is people you know hearing whatever it is people say to them um but i think it's a a, still a super huge problem i mean you know i went to burger king this morning you know we i went out drinking last night and on the way home we got burger king and it's totally normal just to have you know bacon and cheese croissant yeah but it's a cultural problem it's much bigger than us like this is uh, a a noticeable thing yeah we we it's incredibly decadent and we are privileged to live in a world where some of our biggest problems are having too much food to eat and not knowing how to quit. This is true. So on one hand, I, I do kind of feel that way. I'm just like, it would be better if people were educated, uh, preferably systematically, but you know, now that we have the internet and everything, people are learning for themselves and hopefully there'll be a 
there already has been a huge cultural shift in just people's education about nutrition in general, mm-hmm. uh, just with the access to information. But uh, and, and of course, there's a lot of weird shit out there. I mean, you could be anything from a vegan to a person who only eats fruit to a person who only eats uh, like grass-fed, pasture-raised elk meat or whatever. Right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you could be whatever you want. Uh, and there are clearly many different. Uh, relatively healthy ways to get through life, but I don't know. I don't really think about it too much. No, it's true. I mean, I I do think when you have a society like we have, where and it's t- I'm trying to say this so that it doesn't come off as uh, a weird thing to say, but you know, you tell you tell people that they can be whoever they want, do whatever they want, you know, have as much freedom as they want. And I think sometimes people take that and they, they run with it in the wrong direction. Um, and that's not to say that we shouldn't have those things, but to your point, the educational system and, you know, Hey, let's learn about, um, it, it, you should learn about all these things. Okay. But, you know, Hey, let's learn about, you know, a war that happened in, in 1700. Um, I, I think that's something that you should learn about, but I also don't think that it should you should have uh, things along with that, um, you know, teaching people how to do their taxes, uh, financial <laughs> classes, uh, stuff like that, you know, teaching people to eat healthy, uh, yeah. maybe not having pizza parties all having, the time. Having healthy food in the cafeteria. And yeah. I don't mean like – because I remember when the like the Michelle Obama's new lunches mm-hmm. came mm-hmm. out, and that shit was just a huge bummer. It was like yeah. – because I live in the South, man. We went from having like – you know, country fried steak and gravy to freezer food. And I was just like, this is lame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it, it is, it's very pervasive too in the, in the office setting, you know, in, in, in businesses where they're just like, Hey, you guys did a really good job uh, working uh, 90 hours this week. Here's oh 17 pizzas for you. My and favorite like, oh. is the, the planet fitness, like donut and pizza parties. You know what I'm talking about? I don't think so. Oh my god! Like they do it all the time, or at least the one that's here in town did. Like Planet Fitness would have like you know pizza, free pizza days and free donut days, and I'm just like, this is just reckless, you know? Because I mean, that's a genius. Whoever came up with the idea yeah. of Planet Fitness is a freaking genius. Because the the point is to get people to subscribe and then forget that they subscribed, or like just you know, mm-hmm. you don't need them to go to the gym. And if everyone who had a subscription showed up to the gym on the same day at the same time, Planet Fitness could not handle it. You know, right. They make their money off the people who actually don't use their facilities. Well, and it's also like all inclusive. You know, you you don't have to go to the gym there. You can go there and get a tan. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can do everything there. So, yeah. Um, what was there anything in particular that that led you to to go into the military? Was that like a decision that you made early on, or were there other circumstances? No, it was a lot of. I was the kind of teenager who, when I told my parents that I was thinking about joining uh, the Air Force, they were like so confused because Mm. it was like the most unlike me. My dad sat me down and was like, look, you don't – this does not sound like something that I would have ever thought of you doing. Like are you serious about that? And and I was. I was, uh, you know, young and uh, in love and – you know, I thought that that was going to be the best way for me to take myself out of it. A relatively, you know, lower class living style mm-hmm. to, you know, it, I'm not trying to like compare apples to oranges with anybody out there in the world uh, dealing with much worse circumstances. But, you know, I, I was living in a trailer, didn't have air conditioning that functioned correctly, uh, just wasn't comfortable or happy or making any real money. I was an electrician's apprentice and I'd never even heard of a union, man. I was making mm-hmm chump change and i was killing myself basically working uh from like you know 19 to 20 and then in that time frame i just made the decision like if i just commit to a term in the military you know and everything that it comes with that and it's a lot more than you know you know going in but uh that my life would be better you know when i got out i would have a gi bill and i would have some stability i'd have a couple of years to just grow some financial stability that i'd never you know even dreamed of having And so in many ways, it was like probably the most constructive decision I ever made in my life. Hmm. Uh, 
because I was really not, I wouldn't say I was like on the path to destruction necessarily, but I was definitely not doing anything useful with myself at the time. I, I wanted, I told you before, like I wanted to be a pro wrestler and then I got yeah. like injured <laughs> and I just like, I, I just like, there's no way I'm going to make enough money to like survive off that. Uh, so it, it just made sense. Well, I think you should also, and it seems like you are, you know, content with this, but I think you should also be kinder to yourself when you, when you talk about it, because, you know, people can only relate to the things that they've gone through. Like, like you mentioned that you're not trying to compare yourself to someone that's had a worse life than you. You know, I think your experience is your experience and that, that wasn't it for you. So, you know, I I wouldn't look at it like it was something where, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I, this is a huge complex that you've uncovered about me. This is like a, a a recurring issue that's affected me for a long time. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I was sitting there talking to my therapist one day, trying to explain it to them. Like, uh it in the service right my mental health issues in my mind felt like something i needed to keep to myself because mm-hmm. in my head i'm thinking there are other uh service members who need this stuff and yeah. these resources far more than me i should not be complaining i should be glad that i'm not in their situation mm-hmm. and it took a very long time to just kind of do what you just said and say no, my problem is a problem, and regardless of whether it's better or worse or whatever than anyone else's, it still needs to be solved. And uh, so, yeah, that was a. I think that anyone could just take what you just said, quote that, and live by those words, essentially. Well, I think it's it's so fascinating to me because now that I've have started doing this and I've really been sort of scouring the the internet and looking for different stories and and uh, things that people go through it, it's so funny that you talk about Ida when you said that you don't need this as much as the next person does so I'm just going to internalize it and try to move on same experience with me and I think that's the same experience with everybody and it's just a, a real eye-opener to to know that you're not an insane human being and that right. everybody or at least lots of people are having the same problems that you are and so it's like you're not you're not doing yourself any favors by not getting yourself help. You know, it's, right. a, it's a really hard step to take. And even, even while I was getting therapy, you know, I yeah. would say things like I would constantly recite that, like, I shouldn't be in here. I should, I shouldn't be bothering mm-hmm. you with this. I know, I know that there's someone else who should be uh, in, in this seat right now and I'm taking up valuable time and resources. Mm-hmm. And that was really kind of my headspace about it. And also I just didn't want to admit to myself that I had an issue. Uh, yeah. You know, I was very aware of the fact that like, depression and anxiety uh were ruining my life but for some reason i just denied that for you know a long 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 time yeah and i don't know what it is you know because i i I think i did the same thing it's like well you know what i'm just gonna i'm just gonna keep pushing through it i'm gonna keep i'll get over this eventually it's some weird thing that's that's just for me and it's like it's completely involuntary a lot of times or a lot of times it's related to you know something that happened in your past i don't know if um and, you know, feel free to not talk about things that you don't want to talk about. Um, are you still in therapy right now? or No, I no? graduated therapy uh, like a year ago. And how yeah. was that experience for you? Because I'm starting on Monday. I'm just, you know, genuinely curious. So just to be very clear and open, I have been to a lot of therapists. Mm-hmm. I've talked to psychiatrists, psychologists, like I said, alcohol counselors. Mm-hmm. I've talked to uh, private counselors who just volunteered for air force or military service in general i've talked to uh lieutenant colonel you know who mm-hmm. were also doctors in this sort of stuff uh chaplains you name it I, I essentially became towards the end of my time you know when i was an nco uh for a bit at the end of my term with the air force my squadron kind of depended on me to be in charge of maintaining all of the information related to if someone needs one of these services how best can they mm-hmm. go about that or which one of them works best for them because there are different rules you know uh a big thing in the service and i'm just going to say this outright because it needs to be kind of said is that a lot of people deny their problems because they have security clearances or because you know they're afraid they're going to lose their job or they have a big deployment that they're very excited about and it and i understand that like you know it just is what it is at a certain point but it's better for you to be safe and grounded than to go off. And I think people should also kind of 
realize the personal responsibility that comes with that. Like if you know that you have some serious mental health issues and you're hiding that and then you're downrange with someone or some, you know, or you're in charge of a big mission that could affect a lot of people's lives and millions of dollars in government assets or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're not being honest with yourself and your peers about that. I mean, you, you could really cause a lot of issues and I've seen some, you know, uh, people really melt down, but I've also seen some people go get the help that they needed. Oh, that was a lot. It's kind of stressful to think about, but yeah, it's, it is. Um, and obviously I don't, I don't have those experiences, but something that, that struck me about it was, um, shit, I just lost my train of thought. I'm going to well, cut that out probably. What I was going to say, I'm just going <laughs> to, let's just keep it going. Yeah. yeah. What I was going to say is that, uh, because I had been very open and honest with everybody about just how experienced I was with getting different types of therapy throughout my time. And I've, like I said, tried all of the different kinds you could do it pretty much. Uh, you know, I was just like a valuable resource for people. Was, you know, if somebody was having a problem, I was just like, Hey, you know, let's, let's go chat outside where nobody can hear us and I'll point you in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll get you the help that you need, or I'll tell you how to get it if you are willing to go get it, that kind of thing. Uh, I even had myself ordained as a minister so that I could argue, hopefully, if it ever came up, that if someone admitted to, you know, to something dark to me or whatever, that I could just plead like they said that under um, my, you know, to me as a as a minister and not as a uh, an NCO. And therefore, I don't mm -hmm. have to testify. Uh, that's how serious I was about trying to help my peers. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's really that's a huge step to take. And I think it's it's something that not only helps them, but it helps you too. Um, I think when you, when you talk about personal like accountability and, you know, being honest with yourself, I think at the end of the day, like I, I know for me, I, I, a lot of times will take um, or, or, or look for validation um, from other people. And, you know, I, I've done what I feel is a lot, you know, for myself um, to improve my life and improve my mental health and state and all that. But I think definitely you can get caught up in um, making decisions uh, in your life for something that's not you and something that uh, whether it's another person or another thing or whatever, you know, at the end of the day, you have to be able to make the decisions for yourself and you have to be comfortable with yourself. And, you know, because all of these things have potential and possibly will sort of fall to the wayside. And what are you left with? You're left with, thoughts in your head and the decisions that you've made. And so I think that's a really tough thing um, for people to, to do is to realize that, you know, that all of these things, um, all of these improvements that you make are not for other people. They're for you. Mm -hmm. And that's a, uh, for me, that's still something that I'm, I'm working on because I think, I don't know, you know, I think you just find yourself in these situations where uh, you have something that you feel like is your, purpose or your passion or whatever and you know when it doesn't work out you find yourself just sort of like wandering uh aimlessly and yeah it's just a tough thing to 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 do is to set yourself sort of free of all of that and to to be comfortable with who you are and your shortcomings and you know your strengths and and all that stuff i i really think that at the end of the day we all have to realize that it's like it's not a there's no cure to any of this mm -hmm. stuff. There's no thing, there's no magical drug that's going to make it just suddenly better. Mm -hmm. uh, at least not in my experience. Uh, I, I was on SSRIs for like a year. I know it was, it was a weird experience, but uh, you know, there's, there's really nothing that's going to make everything better except like identifying the problem and solving the problem at the root of it. Um, or at I've least been on them for five years. I, I would say if I had, you know, one way to really put it, Mm -hmm. is to just be patient like you have to learn how to just accept yourself and be patient with yourself and yes. not like get meditation was huge for me when i got into mm -hmm. meditation and i still do it all the time uh i'm not talking about like you know chanting buddhist monk stuff or anything i just the practice of mindfulness in general mm -hmm. and part of that process is you know that people will say things like you know clear your mind or, or only you know just breathe in and out and only pay attention to that and it doesn't matter what you're focused on. The point is that you're focusing on something. And when you realize that your mind has drifted away from it, instead of 
you know, getting angry at yourself and saying like, oh, I was supposed to be focusing on whatever. And then like starting that cascade of drifting, destructive thoughts. Uh, if you can just say, I now notice that I have stopped counting and now I'm going to go back to counting. And then mm. you just reassume uh, doing what you're doing. That, just that alone, just that basic little principle. I mean, it gave me so many tools to build on in, in terms of that. So now, you know, like, hey, let's say I fall off the bandwagon like a month. You know, you hear like, oh, Ty's drunk again, hanging out in the hell forward. You know, and bad words on Twitch with uh, with Bridgerner or whatever. You know, let's say you did hear that. Um, I, I remember when I, I was in therapy, another good example of just a genius thing that my therapist told me was, well, actually, I think I said this to her and then she just approved, but I had quit smoking for a long time. Like I was off nicotine completely and I was mm-hmm. very proud of myself. And I th- it was probably like maybe a year or so, or, and then I fell off the bandwagon hardcore. But for the first time in my life, I, I like realized that I wasn't angry at myself because usually when this happened, it was, it would start that whole downward spiral of like, I'm a fuck up. I've just ruined my life. You know, now mm-hmm. I'm going to die of lung cancer. Uh, it's going to cost so much more money and I just can't quit. So I'm pathetic and all that kind of thing. Uh, but at that point in time, I just said, you know what? I think that, uh, you know, when I get ready to, I'll try to quit again. And uh, I'll just be patient with myself and I'll probably go through periods in life where I do and don't use nicotine. And as long as I'm okay with that and I recognize it for what it is, I'm not going to judge myself too harshly. Now, that doesn't mean I don't still want to quit. But uh, as you can see, podcast episode, I'm not there yet. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that goes back to what I said about being kind to yourself, because uh, for me, you know, I I've had some things, you know, recently, fairly recently that uh, have affected me a lot. And Mm -hmm. I did the same thing, downward spiral, um, you know, all of these things. And so then I try to look at the situation that I'm in and, and all the things that um, are, are uh, I want to be good to myself, right? So I, I work from home and, you know, if I want to have a, a, a one hour catatonic state, you know, where I just <laughs> lay in my bed and stare at the ceiling and I, I try to heal from whatever it is that I'm going through, you know, I can do that. And uh, that part of it is really good for me. And, you know, it, a lot of people would say, oh, well, you know, you're wasting a lot of time there. You know, you're not doing anything. You're not being productive. And it's like, well, you know what? I am being actually very productive. I am yeah. healing my own uh, problems and my own mental health. And, you know, I think you just have to understand who you are and what you need. And and you shouldn't have to apologize ab- about any of that to anybody. So, you know, I think whatever your process is, however you feel comfortable finally kicking nicotine or whatever, you know, like that's, that's the process you have to take. That's the road you have to take. And, you know, I think you've done, you've done a lot of good, a lot of good work on yourself, just, you know, based on this conversation, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of good stuff. So don't sell yourself short either. No, I I was just saying to someone else the other day, like I, I, I recently kind of had this epiphany that like, you know, in the, in the concept of like Nirvana and like you're ascending, you know, to something closer to mm-hmm. understanding and universal knowledge or whatever, I ain't saying I'm there, you know, but I feel like I'm like a step higher. Like I'm just like yeah. one tier above where I was before. And as long as I always feel like I'm bettering myself, I will be satisfied with that. Or at least currently I feel that way. Um, because like I said, man, I just, my, my entire life, uh, for as long as I can remember, I was just so crippled by being worried about everything all the time. Mm-hmm. I was the kind of kid like where if I forgot to bring my homework home to do, I would cry and like have my mom drive me back to the school and go get it. Like I was terrified, yeah. you know, of ever doing anything wrong. And then that sort of idea pervades up until I was a teenager. And then when I realized that when you can do things wrong and not get in trouble for it, yep, off to the races. You know, then I was crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad I had all of this experience because I, and I really do feel this way, man. I call it whatever you want. You know, we don't have to get all like weird and religious or magical or anything like that. That's not what I mean here, but I feel like I was put on this earth and put through the, the challenges and things that I've been through so that specifically when I run into someone else in life, maybe someone younger or a peer or whatever, who's going through something similar I am fully prepared to help them get through that if I need mm-hmm. to, 
or point them in the right direction or whatever. I'm way better off, you know, I'm way more useful to serve humanity having gone through this stuff. And there's a lot of symbolism around that. <laughs> well, I think too, as you get older, like you, you start to think, well, what is it, you know, maybe a couple of decisions that you've made, a couple of things that you thought I'm going to do this forever. Right. And then that doesn't happen. It's like, okay, well, what, what is it that's going to be the thing that, that drives me? Um, and I feel very similarly. Um, you know, I, I feel like, uh, so I was on, I, I've been on, um, an SSRI for five years and which one I think, uh, it's just generic Zoloft sertraline. Okay. Yeah. I, and it's, I was on a Wellbutrin first, but that okay. had like that, that total opposite effect for me. Uh -huh. Like it, it didn't help at all. It just made everything I was already thinking 10 times. So I was like, Interesting. You know, like they, they gave me the Wellbutrin, you know, the day I walked in first, I was like, I'm going to fucking, you know, jump off the building. And then, they were like, so how do you feel after a week of the medication? It's like, now I'm definitely going to jump off the building. Yeah, I guess it's, I guess it's everyone's experience. Like I'm on the lowest dosage that they give you yeah. for this. And uh, I felt it immediately. Actually, I took the pill. I, I had a, like a really restless night sleeping the day that I picked up the pills. And I was like, well, it was a Friday and I didn't want to take it because I, I wanted to take it at home over the weekend where I could like, see how it was going to make me feel but i just had this horrible night and i didn't sleep at all and so right before i went to work i said screw it and i popped it and like i used to drive this van um into the city um transporting people and stuff and so i'm driving the van and it just like hits me i swear i got that's the last time that's the highest i've ever been in my life was that pill and it just set me into this like yeah. I have a friend that I was working with and you can ask him. I was like, I was loaded that day. And like the thing that I noticed was that I used to yawn all the time. I used to have four or five cups of coffee and I'd still be like taking a nap at lunch. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I, I didn't yawn for days. Like I was like, <laughs> I was wide awake and uh, you know, I, I started to learn like, okay, being tired is a sign of depression and, and this and that. And so like um, now I'm starting to lose uh, where I was going with this, but you know, I think, my you're initial thought dehydrated though maybe yeah that's probably true um that's usually the solution yeah my initial thought was that i'm going to take this pill and it's going to solve all my problems and it solved a lot of my problems but it didn't solve every problem and i think to your point what you said earlier uh, somewhat of what you said earlier which is that there's no cure there's really no one cure this is something that you have to keep working at and working at and working at and it's not always going to be easy and you're not always going to find um you know ways that help you right away you might have to try 10 20 30 more more things that are going to help you um and so for me I, i'm starting to realize like this like doing this talking to people and Again, it doesn't matter if five, ten, one person watches this. You know, I, I think for me, this is where I'm starting to feel really comfortable, which is talking about, you know, these things that people go through and, and realizing that we're all kind of the same uh, in a lot of ways. You know, we all go through a lot of these things and we all feel a lot of the same things. And, um, you know, just just getting a chance to, to talk to people like you and hearing their experiences and stuff. Yeah, I think that. uh you know, just having conversations like this and putting them out there. It, I mean, if even one person hears this and it, mm -hmm. anything, anything at all resonates with them enough for the, you know, to like, even if it's just an incremental step on their way to getting help or to just making that big decision to make a change in them in themselves that they need to do themselves, uh, you know, it's well worth it. I think that yeah. this, like this is great. Uh, well, so now you know you're you're out of the military. What are you doing right now? How, how is your life going right now? So, I mean, like, dude, I, I don't even know how to explain the ride I've been on. Like, it, it's so insane to me. Like, where I, like what, I, what I said earlier uh, about how, you know, I was kind of under the impression that I was just going to be, like, kind of poor and hungry forever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, I had this plan. Like, if I do the military and I take that time to reset and everything, when I get out, I will have something lined up for me to do. I'll figure something out in that time frame. And then, so when that six years was done, uh, I had already built in the keep and I had worked on realms deep, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, that got me in touch with a whole lot of people in the games industry. So, and by the time that, you know, it was really time for me to get out, I was already kind of like project managing and producing call of Ragnar and stellar Valkyrie. And I had 
been, I don't want to say like the most important thing or whatever, but like a huge part of putting realms deep together and everything. So I had proven to people that I like, I, I could manage a freaking project, I guess, if that's what you yeah. want to call it. But so I became a producer project manager for 3d realms. Fred was like really amazing. Uh, flew us out, flew me and Jahar out um, for realms deep last year. And while we were there, mm -hmm. you know, he was just like, I had actually been asking him, and, you know, this is just the kind of person I am, man. I ain't afraid to ask questions. So I was, yeah. like, asking, like, hey, you know, if I wanted to find a game, uh, an in, a job in the games industry, could you help me, like, put together my CV and all that kind of thing? Just to, you know, since I've worked with you and you you know what I've done. Mm -hmm. And he wrote me back and he was just like, no, nah, come work for us. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll take that. Uh, so, you know, when I was a little kid, man, uh, I played Duke Nukem on the PlayStation with my dad. Yeah. And, uh, what we're doing now, uh, all this cool stuff that 3D Realms has done since, uh, you know, the the fall of, you know, that game, uh, <laughs> and uh, Fred and uh, Mike buying the company and just revitalizing the brand in a lot of ways. It's been really cool. It's an interesting time for uh, that. A lot of these companies, you know, New Blood, uh, yeah, Night Dive, all all these really amazing sort of like. Uh, indie publishers who kind of started off in our community, you know, like really mm -hmm. branched off from, you know, Dusk was uh, huge for me. Uh, seeing, seeing them turn into like successful businesses gives me a lot of hope for the, you know, my ability to, you know, one day uh, retire and just let in the keep be exactly what I want it to be. Yeah. And I will say, uh, I, I said this earlier, but definitely like an inspiration to me too, in a way, because, I, um, I'm the same way, you know, like I grew up, uh, my dad plopped me in front of the computer in like 1995 uh, while he played Doom Online and, you know, Doom, uh, Quake. Um, oh, there's another one. Um, anyway, uh, oh, Diablo. And so, you know, just like being involved in this this community. And so um, for me, the, the coolest thing I ever did was the QuakeCon 2020 with, you know, all those people and oh, all yeah. that stuff. And, we, you know, I... Yeah, you you were fucking King awesome Dimes commentating on a lot of also. stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, you know, I'd love to as well. I've I've looked in the gaming industry. You know, I I don't know where I'd fit in, but like, you know, it for 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 inspirational purposes. You know, just like you started this thing on your own and you worked towards um, you worked towards what you wanted and you got a really great opportunity. I think it's it's just super cool to now having had this conversation right. to see this whole journey. Of where you've gone don't be afraid to ask questions that is what's wrong oh i that's bother people all the time <laughs> that's yeah. I know. that's what people are doing wrong 99 percent of the time it's like because yep. every time i you know try to explain the situation that i found myself in people are like how did you do that it was like i just asked a lot of questions man mm -hmm. i was not afraid to be at you know 4 a.m in the morning and you know message someone like john carmack and say hey do you want to be on my podcast and even right. though he said no i got a reply you know yep. and and over time, it's like when, once I built a pretty good library of people, you know, and, and I've always kept it like I, I told you this, I think, from the jump, like no matter how big the guests get, I'm still going to have like super indie stuff on here. I still yeah. want to talk about the Doom community. I still want to talk about mods. I'm never going to get away from that, or at least not in my current forecast of my vision mm -hmm. of the company. But, you know. When, when I can point to like, well, you know, look at my catalog and see the other people on here and people take the show a lot more seriously than they would if mm -hmm. it was just, you know, a bunch of people they never heard of. And there's nothing wrong with people you never heard of, but that's not how you draw in an audience. Right. So for every, you know, John St. John, there's uh, two or three other people who you probably never heard of. But I, I hope that, you know, if they, they hit that subscribe button and they like end up listening to the show and just liking the vibe of the show that they'll hear these stories of these amazing, you know, indie devs and, and community moderators. And oh God, I've had uh, social media managers on the show. Mm -hmm. I've had so many different type musicians. I did a whole panel just on, you know, uh, the people making the music for a lot of the games that were in Realms Deep. And I want to keep doing stuff like that. I want to be like a, you know, an outlet of information for people yeah. who are thinking about getting into this industry or just fascinated by it or whatever to like learn and hopefully, you know, get get there faster than i did well you know my favorite episode of in the keep is uh, you did an interview with this guy named human bones yeah uh mine yeah uh, episode five um well it's been 
really great. I, I just want to thank you again for for coming on here and talking to me because I know that this stuff's not easy to talk about and and uh, I I'm working on how to properly structure a conversation and uh, maybe a little maybe I take things in some weird directions sometimes. Um, but you know, I thought it. I really learned a lot about you and um, you know it was just it was just great to have you on and uh, I want you to be able to plug all of your stuff uh, you know I tried to wear this shirt for you um, but you know plug away all of your all, wherever we can find in the keep and, and all that stuff so uh, the, the big thing right now is the two games that we're working on so call of Seregnar you can go to callofseregnar.com you can find it on Twitter at call of Seregnar. Uh, but if ultimately make your way to one of the store pages, probably Steam or Itch or whatever you prefer, and hit the hit the like and the wishlist buttons and all that stuff. That would be great. Also, my baby, my like brainchild in many ways, but also a collaboration with the Scumhead and Uber Gawai and uh, Tristan Clark and all these amazing people. Stellar Valkyrie is uh, I'm just so excited about it, and it's a Doom Engine project, so I think you would like mm -hmm. it too. Uh, maybe maybe there'll be some crossover in the audience. I don't know. But if you like space birds and bounty hunting and stupid dad jokes and animal puns and also shooting things, uh, I think that you will <laughs> really enjoy Stellar Valkyrie. Um, otherwise, if you want to check out the podcast or, or any of this stuff, inthekeep.com is your destination. Awesome. Well, once again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Had a great time talking to you today. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. All right.